So great thanks to Richard, who stepped in at an evening's notice uh, to come and preach last weekend. Um, But we are now ready to look at Mark chapter 6. So we're going to read from verse 1. I'm hoping that you heard some of what I just said, (laughs) Um, but I won't repeat myself. Uh, Here we go. Oh, thank you, son. I don't need it right now, but uh, I'll keep that for later. (laughs) Here we go, Mark 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that's been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. He could, do, uh, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. This is one of those passages that you would kind of prefer not to really look at. Um, not to preach, particularly following on from Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 is absolutely amazing. Um, We saw there any number of situations a few weeks uh, back anyway, where Jesus encounters people in their severest need of absolute desperation and they receive a touch from him that changes their life completely, that heals them, that Indeed, in the case of Jairus' daughter, actually brings her back to life. And so it's, it's a, a chapter of powerful encounter with Jesus. And Jesus is encountering people's faith. Now, that's not the reason why people were saved. It's not that was an ingredient, as it were. It was Jesus touching people's lives. But any time Jesus comes across people's faith, a response of belief, then he commends them and is just uh, and draws attention to it. So, in chapter five and verse uh, thirty-four, this is what he says to uh, Jairus, who's just heard news that his um, daughter has died. Jesus said, said to her daughter, um, "Oh, sorry, no, this is a different situation." He speaks to a lady who's just touched him in a crowd. And she's got healed, but scared. She's trying to keep a low profile and get away without being noticed. Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. There's no reason for you to feel any shame or you've got to go away under a cloud. Look, I'm commend- he commends her. Your faith has healed you. He's just delighted in that response in this uh, in a desperate woman thinking, no, if only, if I can just touch the hem of his robe, I know I'll be healed. Um, Jesus loves faith and draws attention to it. And then later on, uh, also, when encountering this bad news, when, when Jairus hears that his daughter has died, uh, it says about Jesus, ignoring what they said in verse 36, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He encourages the guy to believe. He knows what he has um, uh, planned with God's help to go and do. So it's a, a chapter of dramatic encounter of 
people responding in faith to Jesus in the most severe of situations, and then we rock up at Jesus' hometown. We might expect here that, well, of course, here's going to be a place where, where people are going to be really supportive. Their boy made good. Um, and here's, here's going to be a situation where he encounters more faith, um, but there's a stark contrast, and instead he encounters their unbelief. So it'd be much more preferable just to have a focus on chapter 5 and other passages like it, when there's kind of great fireworks in the kingdom, as it were, amazing stuff happening. But we have to look here at a scenario of unbelief. Perhaps, however, it gives us just a, a helpful challenge. We could be thinking at this point that Jesus' mission is just one automatic triumph after another, um, that he's just always bound to be successful, that anybody's reaction to him doesn't influence him positively or negatively. He just glides through life and miracles happen and hey presto, the kingdom of God is almost just like a magic wand that can just be waved and things automatically click into place because Jesus is here. Um, What we're going to see is a community of people taking offence at God. And maybe that gives us um, a challenge to consider, do we take offence at God in any of these ways? So uh, we'll look at this passage and a couple other passages as well that show people stumbling over what God is doing one way or another, taking offence at him uh, one way or another. And we see that here in chapter 6 in verses 1 to 3. Um, <coughs> the first of our three ways of taking offence at God, number one, it's possible, like this community here, to stumble over the messenger. Um, this is what is happening here. They are stumbling over Jesus himself. Now, they must have known Jesus. Um, they must have heard about him. Uh, they obviously knew him. And on the positive side, they are Uh, somebody has invited Jesus to preach so that when we're gathered at the Sabbath there in his hometown, not mentioned what the hometown is, but we know it's Nazareth. Um, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. So he's been invited to teach. Later on, by the things they're asking themselves, we know that they're, they're able to acknowledge, actually, look, we can see that Jesus has wisdom and we can't deny, we have to acknowledge that Jesus um, is performing miracles. Uh, news has reached our ears. We're not denying it. He has wisdom and he has miraculous power. So how come they reacted against him? They asked this question to start with, where did this man get these things? Where did this man get these things? As though he'd stolen someone else's ideas or stolen someone else's work. We've got a word for that. It's called plagiarism. And um, uh, when I was growing up, um, in the primary school that I went to still has a system of, uh, of sitting the 11 plus so age 11 in whatever class I was in year 6 um, uh, we all did the 11 plus uh, and that would determine actually what sort of school we might go to there was a girl in the class who passed her the 11 plus she wasn't the only person but Lots of her friends, or perhaps they weren't really friends, as you might gather, were surprised. They thought, she's not clever enough to pass. So, okay, she's got the results, 
But there's no way that represents her own work. She must have tricked the system somehow. And so there's this rumour spreading through the class that Emily, bless her soul, um, was kind of tarnished with this accusation or this gossip of having been a cheat um, and having tricked uh, the system. I think, well, maybe she just kept a low profile for a year and she was actually quite, quite brainy. We all just missed it. Um, and so when the results come through, there's this great shock. No, surely not. Where did you get these things? It's like, well, we have to acknowledge that you've got the grade, but we, it's offending us that you did well um, because we thought you weren't that bright and we maybe had uh, ideas that we were brighter than you. So uh, taking offence. This is what happens. They're kind of reacting against Jesus. Well, we have to acknowledge you've done pretty well, but aren't you supposed to be a carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? I think, well, okay, we could think that by this point, Joseph had died. Isn't this Mary's son? Um, But even if Joseph had been dead and buried a long time by this point, it's an interesting way to refer to Jesus, isn't it? It's like, yeah, we know about your shady past and how you were conceived. So we kind of like what God is doing. There are elements of this teaching that we could really receive and enjoy, but we're offended by who God is using. That was the case um, back here. All their, all their questions kind of could be summarized for us as, who does he think he is? They're having a bit of a dig at his, at his background, and they don't really like the fact that it's him being used by God. God, you can do what you like, but you can't use him. And so they're taking offence. They like what God is doing, but they don't like who he is using to do it. So that's one way in which we can stumble uh, or take offence at what God is doing. We don't like the messenger, the person that God has chosen to use. Uh, there's another couple of ways in which it's possible to take offence at God. Um, <coughs> we see it. Uh, Also in the corresponding passage in Luke 4, which is looking at the same scenario, Jesus visiting um, the synagogue in Nazareth and teaching. And and there it kind of draws out that not only were they stumbling over the messenger, they're also stumbling over the message. Uh, So we can see uh, from, well I might just read from Luke 4 verse 22, let's say. Jesus has been teaching, and then it says there, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you do, that, uh, that we've heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. I don't think they like what they heard that day. It's just my hazarding a guess. I think if you responded to me today, if I really put my foot in it somehow, and you frog-marched me out, I might think, well, 
Did they not like what I said? Um, we're seeing here kind of absolute anger and, and fury. And what's, brought, what's being brought to our attention is they, they didn't like the message. Jesus was referring to two instances in the Old Testament where prophets of God were used to bless Gentile people, were used to bless foreigners, those outside the community of faith, those not chosen to be part of, uh, of God's community. Um, well, yet there were loads of widows and Elijah was sent to one in, in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. That's not Israel, that's not God's patch as it were, but God's chosen to bless her. And God chose to bless Naaman the Syrian, an army commander who at other times in history would have just been totally opposed and fighting against uh, Israel and God's people. God chose to bless him. These guys were taking offense to that because they're thinking, well, well no, we, we, we want to be on the receiving end of God's blessing. We don't want God to bless our enemies. We don't want God to, to be too gracious Just be gracious to us. Um, So Jesus is is kind of saying, look, this is not just about Israel anymore. This is not just um, a a focus on on our country and our people. Look at what God is doing, and it's for all nations and for all people. Well, they don't like that. They have um, too narrow a view of God's kingdom and what God wants to do. God doesn't want to keep it contained to just one people group. He's got a plan to bless the whole world through Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm here. I'm here to bring good news. I'm here to bring good news to a lot of people. Are you on board with what God is doing through me in his kingdom right now? And the clear answer was no. We, we don't like that message, Jesus. You're, you're, you're on the wrong track. Please don't tell us that. That's not going to win you any favours around here. So they stumbled over the message. A third way of taking offense at God is not stumbling over the messenger, not stumbling over the message, but it is possible to stumble over our own disappointment. The way in which we would like things to have been just hasn't quite worked out, and we can take offense at God because he hasn't done what we would have liked him to do. And I wonder if this is what happened Uh, I think it's pretty clear this is what happened, for John the Baptist himself. Uh, So in Luke again, and in chapter 7, by this time, John the Baptist has prepared the way for Jesus. So clearly he accepted the messenger, Jesus. He kind of even pointed him out, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Follow this man. It's not about following me. Follow him. John the Baptist was saying. So he, he accepted and loved the messenger and accepted the message. He even prepared the way for both, but Jesus didn't meet his expectations. In Luke chapter 7, indeed in just a few verses in Mark chapter 6 as well, we're going to see that John was imprisoned by Herod because he'd been speaking against Herod. And, uh, and that causes doubts and disappointments to arise in John the Baptist's uh, mind. So uh, Luke 7, and just reading from verse 18. John's disciples told him about all these things. Um, calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, 
Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. John the Baptist was in danger of falling away. Well, well, why was that? When there were so many great things happening, Jesus, as we're told there in verse 21, cured many who had diseases and sicknesses and evil spirits, gave sight to the blind, and even raised the dead. And again, what have we just seen in chapter 5 of Mark's Gospel? These powerful encounters where Jesus is meeting people in their deepest need, healing them, setting them free, and even raising them back to life. But for John... He's, he's not dismissing those things. He said, but I th- he's in prison. He's been locked up. He's heralded. God's king is arriving. Look, he's right here. He even had the privilege of, of baptizing God's king and God's son. The kingdom of God has arrived. That's it. Everything's going to be awesome right now. And so perhaps what John was expecting was that at some point Jesus would arise, gather thousands of people as his popularity increased, and march on Jerusalem and seize power from this pretender of a king, Herod, and establish God's rule on the earth, here and now. A military victory um, would be won. And therefore, if John was in prison, he'd be released. Because Jesus is the king. Jesus would march in and Jesus would rescue him. So what's happening for John is just wrestling with the fact, hang on a minute, I I thought God's king had come. So why, why am I still in prison? Why have I not been rescued yet? And notice that Jesus doesn't apologize. John has stumbled or is in danger of stumbling over or falling away or taking offence at God. Notice, Jesus doesn't apologise, doesn't need to apologise. I'm so sorry, it's not quite worked out for you. Um, He's saying, no, look, the kingdom of God has come. It's just packaged differently to how you were expecting it and hoping it to be realised right now. Blessed is the man who doesn't fall away, who doesn't stumble or doesn't take offence on account of me. So three ways in which it's possible to take offence at God. Note that God uh, never needs our forgiveness. Sometimes we need to process ways in which we may have taken offence at him. So back in Mark chapter 6, back in the, uh, in the uh, in a synagogue in Jesus' hometown, the people have taken offence at Jesus. And Jesus, quite frankly, has taken offence, therefore, at them. They are staggered at him. Who does he think he is? And he's staggered at them. Why won't they believe? But notice this. Jesus, giving his verdict, as it were, is towards a community. 
Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house as a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. Which is remarkable because we're being told Jesus couldn't do any miracles. Of course there were some. Um, So I I think we probably settled for, wow, a few people have been healed this year or something. This is amazing. Um, But Jesus Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. Amazed, staggered by their unbelief. Even though a few miracles um, took place place but notice this it's it's not that jesus is sharing that verdict with an individual with a person it's being brought to a community so in other words jesus is not kind of healing someone or praying for someone or having a conversation with someone that he then berates for their personal lack of faith this is not kind of a reason uh, for having a go at somebody in fact, that would be a, an absolutely heinous understanding of a passage like this, is to say, well, I, I think you're not healed because you don't have faith. I'm amazed at you. Uh, it's not being shared with an individual. He's just saying, he's saying to the community, here is a community of unbelief. There's an a- atmosphere of not believing God. Atmosphere makes it sound a bit strange and mystical, like it's in the, in the air somewhere. It's like, no, amongst this group of people, amongst this community, there is a, a climate of stubbornness, a climate of hardness towards what God is doing. And so that's the verdict to this community. Um, and there can be possible signs of that. Um, in a community. Well, what might they be? Possible signs that a community together has just kind of wandered into uh, unbelief might be things like cynicism, um, a reluctance to receive prayer, or prayer being a last resort, or just a kind of collective way of thinking. My situation or our situation will never change. Lots of worries, lots of fears, uh, lots of controlling behaviour. Maybe it's also in just a particular sense of humour. I say this because I was reading recently a book called uh, Sustainable Power. And uh, it was bought, bought by, for me off my Amazon wish list at Christmas. I think by a relative who thought, fantastic, Dan is really getting into um, issues of ecology. Sustainable power. It's actually the tagline is developing a healthy... Um, ministry of the supernatural in the local church or something and it's a, a guy leading a church uh, in Bedford called the King's Arms sharing their story and I, I, I love that he's very upfront he's very honest and the first half of the book is saying here are the attitudes that oh actually I personally had to kind of dig out of my own heart if you like rocks in the soil and if the soil was going to be really fertile we needed to get some of these uh, rocks out of it and so he just spends half of the book identifying attitudes in himself um, that maybe needed dealing with and he realized that he had a a sense of humor that was more or less entirely based on mockery in other words you you find something um, that is negative and you kind of laugh at it or you, you you pull something down as a way of perhaps building oneself up and he's kind of just saying yeah that's that to be honest, I hadn't really noticed, but it, it came to my attention, and then I realized it was just almost like my normal way of thinking. My normal way of speaking was to find something or find someone to poke fun at 
and bring down. And he said, that can be just, just one way in which actually just an, an atmosphere or a culture develops of, of wariness, of negativity, of just thinking, I'm not cynical, other people are gullible. I haven't got the problem. It must be with other people. Um, this passage needs applying uh, together, corporately. If, if the issue is being highlighted is one in a community, it needs um, working through as a community. And uh, in a few chapters' time, we'll meet a man who very wisely understood something. That our hearts, our life, we have the, the potential to believe and not believe at the same time. So one man responds to Jesus, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. And there are three ways of taking offence at God. Well, I'd just like to suggest a few ways in which, as a community, we can battle unbelief and create a a context and an environment for for growing faith. Because I think the verdict would not be like this for us but maybe there are ways in which we have to acknowledge, actually, we do believe, but help us in our unbelief. And sometimes our unbelief might feel more prominent than our belief. So how can we contribute to a climate of faith and expectation by our actions and attitudes? Not drifting into unreality or being super spiritual, but encouraging a, a climate of believing God. I wonder just how did you respond um, when... Uh, when Tom mentioned that verse earlier on from uh, John chapter 10, um, that God as Christ says, I've come, you might have life in the abundance. There's an enemy who wants to steal, kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life. And are we battling for faith when we hear the word of God? This Yes, I want to receive this. This is true. Or do we allow, through disappointment or stumbling over some aspect of the message or the messenger, do we just allow us to, to kind of, a, like a ping pong ball, just push back the word of God at, rather than receive it? Here are what, three ways in which I think we can uh, together uh, battle unbelief. Um, let's battle unbelief firstly by enjoying God's word. This is what helps us not to stumble. If we are aware of God's message throughout the Bible and the many and very varied messengers that God has used along the route, this will help us to combat any sort of narrowing mindset that, similar to that which the Nazarenes had. See, they didn't want to hear about Elijah and Elisha healing and blessing Gentile people. It was part of the Bible, but it wasn't part of their thinking. The word of God challenges our blind spots and prejudices. We can assume that we know what is biblical without actually having a personal devotion um, to the Bible. If that's the case, we're in danger at some point or another of stumbling over something that God is doing in the here and now, which is part of his plan to demonstrate the abundant life that he has. um, But we don't like how he's doing it. Because we've kind of just assumed that we know what is, I know, what's biblical and what God might choose to do and, and who he might choose to use. And God shocks us when he chooses to do things his own way. So enjoying God's 
word. We weren't designed to have a weekly encounter with the word of God and that that would be enough and that would see us through. We were designed to, to enjoy and meditate on God's word at, at each and every opportunity. Like, not making a rule, just saying we live a healthy life by regular meals, by regular rest, regular sleep. Well, we're going to enjoy life with God by, by regularly meditating on the word of God. It's not, and in a sense, as we read it, it's reading us. We're, so, we're, we're getting hold of God's word, but really it's a process of the word of God getting hold of us. Sometimes holding up a bit of a mirror, we think, actually, yeah, that's highlighting an issue. Maybe that's what needs to, I need to dig that out of my heart. Um, rather than just allow unhelpful attitudes to, uh, to stay in place. Enjoying God's word. Secondly, being honest. In the Psalms, we often see people vocalising their disappointments, and it's bizarre. Vocalising their disappointments in songs. Singing songs which begin, if you like, very much in the minor key. I don't think we really do this, but we have a massive book in the Bible, the Psalms, kind of showing us ways in which we can engage with God when life doesn't make sense, when we are kind of just puzzled by what's going on. Here would just be one example reading recently in Psalms and Psalm 13. This has been recorded and written down by one person so that the whole nation or all of God's people might be in the benefit of reading it. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? David writes. Now sometimes what we want to do is just jump straight to giving the right answer. And uh, we don't necessarily do that or even write it down or share it with other people. Um, We just want to jump to, can't complain, God's sovereign. But if we're not careful, there can be just a disconnect between what we're saying coming on the outside and what we're actually thinking on the inside. Now what's happening here is David in that psalm is in his despair turning to God, telling it from his perspective how it is, but it enables him to maybe just dig out the disappointment in his own heart and come to God afresh. So you kind of see just in one psalm and a brief psalm at that, his journey from doubt and disappointment back to a place of genuine faith rather than just jumping to giving the right answer straight away. So we, then um, he's kind of bringing his complaint to start with in verse 1 and 2. Verse 3 and 4, he's kind of bringing his request. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. Verse 5 and 6. Now... He, having kind of made his complaints, made his request, he's actually then coming back to a place of faith and seeing things clearly again, even in cloudy circumstances. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. David is not pretending. He's, he's not kind of just glazing over life. Um, 
he's being totally honest um, with the, the challenges and the disappointments he's facing up to right now. I actually wonder whether this is sometimes what happens, or this is sometimes why, when God kind of moves afresh uh, amongst people, as we're you know, sometimes praying for one another, there can be big releases of emotion. And we think, well, this is really odd. Why if we're praying for somebody and we're praying for them to receive good things, are they so upset? Does that mean like, come, be prayed for and he will make you cry? You know, thank you, Lord. Um, what's going on? Well, I just wonder if it's God graciously saying, in effect, look, this has been here all along. This might have been here for weeks and months. Now, come on, let's get this out. You need to just get this out of your system. You've allowed this disappointment or uh, sorrow to get bottled up and there's been like a pressure that's been building and I want to relieve you from that pressure because, you ha- you know, because maybe in our culture, in our time or in, in this country, it's not so typical for us to really go for it in, ah, how long, oh Lord? We just want to just be a little bit more polite and reserved than that. Don't want other people to have to handle our massive fallouts anyway, but just say, oh, I'll just get by, I'll just get by. This is, this is all fine, I'll just have to cope, I'll just have to cope. All the while, pressure, pressure building. Now we need to be careful that we're not just splurging on anybody who comes within like half a mile. Let me tell you about my life. But actually there is a place for just open honesty before God and with one another. Actually, I am struggling. Actually, I'm not finding this easy. Here's the question that's in my head, and I need to get before God in the scriptures, maybe with the help of a good friend who's going to help me see this right again. Help me see this clearly. I will trust in your unfailing love, David says. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And afterwards, he even wants to tell people that this is what I was going through. Look, I've written it down, and it's recorded in the pages of scripture for us to see. Let's be a community that's not kind of hiding away from how life really is. Being honest. Being honest as well when there are positive things to be said. Um, Answered prayer. Um, If we have been healed and we've received, even uh, if we've been prayed for and we've received some healing or some improvement, it's not kind of hyping it up to simply share. I sometimes wonder actually as a community whether when we do experience healing power there's a nervousness about saying so um, like we, we do know when stuff is going wrong um, because we all want to rally around and pray uh, I wonder sometimes where there's kind of testimonies that don't really get heard because we don't want to be accused of hyping it up and maybe we're just a fearful slightly fearful that that what I think has happened, which is wonderful, might vanish the moment I open my mouth and tell other people about it. Um, and so we, we kind of can hold back fearfully from sharing good news, as well as kind of just being very guarded when it comes to sharing how things really are. Thirdly, how can we battle unbelief? By giving thanks, by celebrating what we have been given, rather than just focus on what we haven't received yet. Maybe this was Jesus' point to John the Baptist. Okay, you haven't received a rescue from this particular scenario that you're in, but have a look at what has been received. Um, imagine the, um, the, the, well, maybe you don't have to imagine, maybe this has happened in your experience, maybe you can rem- remember this kind of uh, reaction. 
uh, on your own birthday or someone else's when you receive loads and loads of gifts which are now surrounding us on the floor. All the paper has been ripped up, but there's this huge amount of stuff to clear up. Um, and the person sat amongst all the gifts is, has quickly pushed them to one side and is complaining. But I didn't get, and then say the thing they didn't get were hoping to, to get. I think, ooh, well, you've just received, or we've just received so much on such a happy um, occasion. Look, all these things are unwrapped around us, but nobody gets any presents on their birthday because they deserve it. Um, so, okay, there's this one thing that you haven't received, but look, there's so many things that we have. None of us get what we deserve. Romans 6 verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Everything good we experience is a gift from God that we simply don't deserve. And we want to be a people together who are um, cultivating um, an atmosphere of faith, battling unbelief, um, not letting go of the word of God, devoting ourselves uh, to it, who are being um, honest with what's going on in life, uh, not hiding behind um, spiritual pleasantries and who are growing in giving thanks for what we have received and what is happening uh, amongst us. Our hearts, I think, do have this strange ability to have unbelief and faith mixed around in them at the same time. Let's make it our aim to be a community that is growing in faith and battling unbelief and is looking for what God is doing and is just ready to rejoice, even if it takes us by surprise by what God is doing and who he is using and what isn't quite happening just yet, but seeing, nevertheless, God's manifold goodness being poured out all the time to his people. Why don't we pray, then we'll conclude in worship. Father God, I want to thank you so much for what we see in Jesus. Thank you so much for good news personified, living, breathing, and walking amongst us. Thank you for your, your word, Lord, even where it challenges us and is uncomfortable. Thank you for your word where it reminds us and refreshes us with what is true. Thank you, Lord God. It's not some kind of trick or uh, it's not a case of having to squint to believe it, but that you've come that we might have life and life in its abundance whilst recognizing there's an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. You are far greater, more powerful and glorious. Lord Jesus, I pray. Lord, we know from the scriptures that there are times where our hearts, the eyes of our hearts, need to be opened again to see afresh um, who you are, what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do. And so if for any of us here, we might face some scenarios that would help us to identify with David when he's asking all his questions, how long? Help us to process it through, not jumping to the right answer, but arriving again at, at genuine faith in who you are, the good news that you have, your wonderful kingdom that is at work and growing uh, and, and, and shaping us, Lord Jesus. We want to be a community shaped by faith uh, and honesty and thankfulness and, uh, and having a focus and our attention 
on you. So help us right now as we were singing earlier on, just to fix our gaze on the wonderful God who has done so many good things. Whoever we are, whatever our story in life thus far, we have already been on the receiving end of your blessing and we will receive more and more. Thank you, Lord God. Amen. Why don't we stand and worship together?